Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all new episode of Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I am Mike Leon. And while my co-host tries to speak his broken English to the waitstaff over in Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic, I'm certain as the sun is yellow, he's confused a few curse words with food items, but I can't fly this puppy alone. So joining me is a four time uh, appearance here on the podcast. She's a national politics reporter over at The Washington Post. Our friend Sabrina Rodriguez. Sabrina, how are you doing? Thank you for filling in. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm I'm really hoping Nick's, you know, carrying his own. I, I have more faith in him than you do. <laughs> he is right now. I'm 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 positive that he has been brought the wrong uh, menu items, and he's getting frustrated. So, and he's getting no service. So that's the best part too, because he can't text me. Uh, on the program today, the latest on the Israel Hamas war, the upcoming fourth GOP primary debate is later this week. Who better to help us preview it than someone who's covered Republican watch parties and has been to the last debate like Miss Rodriguez, plus a debate no one asked for. Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis, Fox News. You probably missed it. We're going to break it all down later on. And if we have enough time, Sabrina, we're going to say farewell to George Santos as he spruces up that resume to get back out in the job market. I feel you on that one, George. I'll see you back out there. All right. Uh, before I say hello to Miss Rodriguez, we get into it. An all-new episode of Back Your Play with Q is out there. Q welcomes in USA Today baseball writer Steve Gardner. They break down all the latest free agency news. The hot stove right now. Who's Ohatani going to sign with? I want to know as a Yankee fan. New episodes of Back Your Play with Q over on LeahMediaNetwork.com or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also, an all-new episode of the Educate US podcast is out there. Before Nick went to the Dominican Republic, he recorded with Stacey and Patrice as they welcome in innovation strategist Ubanga Umana to the world of AI in the education space. They talk all about it. What does that look like? Find out with new episodes of the Educate US podcast over on LeonMediaNetwork.com or listen wherever you get your pods. And lastly, you can check out our friend and host of the Ask the Experts podcast, Karen Batia. He joined the New York Post, the New York Post, excuse me, sports rundown show to break down all the latest happenings in New York sports. The Knicks are hot right now. The Jets Giants future at the quarterback position are the Mets and Yankees going to be key players in free agency. Check out this incredible collaboration between Ask the Experts and the New York Post. It's over on LeonMediaNetwork.com or you can check it out on the New York Post Sports' YouTube channel. All right, Sabrina, that's a lot. We got, we got a lot going on here. I got a lot, I got a lot of reads here. Uh, we got to pay the bills. And uh, thank you to our sponsor, BetterHelp. But um, so listen, how have you been? What's been going on in your world? Take the people a little bit through. We've been seeing you on social media for people that follow you on Twitter or on Instagram, you've been traveling the country, writing articles. Like 
What are some things that you've been covering as part of your beat over at WAPO? Yeah, I mean, so so my beat at the post, um, you know, is very specific voters. So covering voters, you know, the way I've kind of looked at it this year has been spending a lot of time in battleground states just to get a sense of, okay, you know, it's too far out from next year's election to be able to say, oh, you know, this person is going to win or not. But just what are the issues people are caring about or, you know, how, what are the vibes? How are people feeling about Washington, about politics? Um, and I think the overwhelming thing I've seen in, in the places I've gone to, I've spent a lot of time in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Arizona above all. Um, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of like apathy, a lot of people feeling like, they're just so fed up with politics. Um, they're so fed up. It's not like a, oh, we hate one candidate or one person or one party, but just a feeling like, what's going on? This is a mess. I'd rather tune out, um, which is not a good thing for either party to be facing, you know, a year out from the election. Uh, so yeah, a lot of my travels has been hearing a lot of people complaining about a lot of different issues or, or just feeling a lot of frustration when it comes to politics. You know, voter apathy is the worst. We saw it in 2016 with turnout and only 127 million or so people coming out to vote. We saw it in 2020 pick back up 156 million people coming out. So you don't want the repeat of of 2016 and you want people to be engaged. So let's give them a reason to be engaged. I want to ask you something about this. I was mentioning it as we get into our first segment here about the latest with what's happening between Israel and, uh, and Hamas and the war that's happening in Gaza, uh, according to the Palestinian health ministry, over 15,000 people have died so far in the war. And the truce slash ceasefire that happened last week is now no longer. And in the last 24 hours, at least 700 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza from Israeli airstrikes. And Hamas says the captive prisoner swap talks will not resume until the Israel uh, onslaught in Gaza ends. I want to play for you something that our friend over, I think our mutual friend, I think you know Deepa Shivram over at NPR. She's following the vice president who was in Dubai over at the UN, vote, um, the United Nations Climate Summit. And the vice president and the secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, also said uh, some damning things about the way Israel is handling this war and, and civilian civilian casualties that continue to pile up. I want to play a little bit for you and get your reaction on the side. So take a listen to this. As Israel defends itself, it matters how. The United States is unequivocal. International humanitarian law must be respected. Too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. Frankly, the scale of civilian suffering and the images and videos coming from Gaza are devastating. Now, I want to tease uh, later this week, we're going to be having a special episode, Leila Molana Allen, a PBS special correspondent that's stationed out there in Israel and Egypt right now. She's going to be joining me later on this week, filling in for Nick. So we're going to get into a little bit more of this. But at a high level, Sabrina, I wanted to talk to you because you were just talking about voter issues and people that you've been talking to. And I'm not sure how much you've asked folks and some of the stuff that you've done about the war. And foreign policy tends to lean a little bit lower on the scale for folks. But we've seen some recent polling coming in about President Biden's approval rating amongst Democratic voters kind of being split right now, or at least starting to trend downwards for people in favor of either Palestine or Israel. What do you make of it on and kind of what do you make of what the vice president just said there? And the U.S. kind of shifting uh, at least its message and tone to the Israeli government of, hey, it's time for you guys to start treating this, you know, with severity and like stop killing innocent civilians. At the beginning of this, it was like we must protect, you know, Israel and our ally. And now the message is kind of shifting. Well, I would say number one, um, and, that, you know, I preface anything I say with everyone should listen to the episode that's going to come up with Layla, because I think there's so much to learn from people that are really close to it and covering it on the ground. Um, I think being in Washington, D.C. right now, there's like a level of being removed from it, of course. Um, and, and this is deeply impacting, you know, thousands of people's lives. Um, so I always say that when I talk about the politics of it, because I'm like, that's a whole other story. But you know, I think we're seeing that the Biden administration is facing, you know, what they keep seeing in poll after poll and what they keep seeing, you know, every event that Democrats have been at in, in recent weeks in the last, you know, 
almost two months um, since the October 7th uh, Hamas attack has been, you know, a growing number of activists and people, you know, coming out to say that they want a ceasefire. And as weeks, you know, move on and we see like the number of civilian deaths growing, um, it's become harder for the Biden administration to kind of keep that singular message of, okay, you know, unequivocally full support for Israel. You know, now as weeks have passed, uh, um, Aside from the political cost that it has for them, but they're seeing the human cost, the toll that it is having, um, you know, in Gaza, they're sort of trying to change that message to a certain extent. They're trying to add some level of nuance to that message. Um, you know, we've seen with when there was the hostage, um, you know, exchanges, the Biden administration then was in that in that point, they were saying, OK, if we could keep this going, that would be great. You know, if it could be, OK, more hostages are let out and there's a ceasefire. This is like a politically we can kind of work with this um, in, in hopes of a longer term deal. But now that that's over, um, you know, we are seeing the administration pivot a little bit to, to being more critical um, where where it feels that it needs to be and where certainly a, a large amount of the Democratic base has been at for weeks and, and wanted them to do for weeks. Yeah, you know, I saw a PBS uh, Marist uh, poll that came out, I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, and it was a majority of Democrats were saying the response has been now too much, which is always, you know, the with this conflict, you get this circular motion of Hamas doesn't attack. And then obviously, they're hiding between uh, civilians and infrastructure like hospitals and schools. And then so when Israel does bomb this, it's not a proportional response. And then we get this vicious circle. But it was about 56 percent of Democrats said it had been too much, which was up a whopping 21 points from the previous month. And then meanwhile, majority of Republicans, 52 percent said the response has been about right which was eight points up from last month. We're going to get into the GOP uh, and, and some of the candidates and some of the things that they've been saying about this war. But for you, um, when I, I don't know if you mentioned it there. I want to re-ask. Let me real quick. When you were going out and doing this, because you wrote an article about the watch party, and then obviously you went to the third debate. I know you were kind of interviewing some people. And a lot of the exchanges during that debate were around Vivek and Nikki Haley getting into it with respect to foreign policy. When you were talking to people afterwards, how much of the foreign policy stuff kind of came up for them of like, I like the way Vivek answered that or Nikki answered that? Or was it that's the theatrics and the politics of D.C. And I don't really care about that. The economy's hurting me and, my, and I'm paying a lot at the pump. I mean, it's it's a mixed response. I mean, I've I've seen consistently at the debate watch parties and, you know, there has been a mix and, and not just at the debate watch parties, but just talking to voters on, on a regular basis about what they care about, what they're watching, you know, what what they like or don't like the candidates are saying. Um, and I think that, you know, the economy is by far the number one thing, you know, people will talk to you about inflation and people will talk to you, you know, about their concerns about prices going up, gas, groceries, that's, you know, cost of living. Um, but in terms of the the conversation that happened in the third debate where they talked a lot more about foreign policy, um, you know, people tend to to like Nikki Haley more on that regard from, and again, this is based off of the conversations I've had with voters, but oftentimes what I've heard is, you know, she obviously has more experience. She's been doing this for many years, her time at the UN, um, you know, she has that experience with foreign policy that a lot of people feel the other candidates and, and in particular Vivek Ramaswamy lacks. Um, he has, you know, more, um, they would say, you know, radical proposals um, that, you know, always kind of boils Nikki Haley's blood and ends up being some of the more dramatic, intense moments that they have in the debates because they have such different worldviews. Um, and I would just add something that, that I didn't mention before when I was kind of talking about Democrats on this. You know, one of the concerning things in, in the politics of what's going on with Israel and Hamas um, for Biden is him not having high approval ratings necessarily for his handling of this and broadly for his handling of foreign policy. Um, you know, he was the the chairman of the Senate, you know, Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, so for him, for Foreign Relations Committee, um, he has lots of experience on this. This is something that he has sold himself always as being, you know, a big leader on the global stage, being very nuanced and, and well-versed in foreign affairs. So for Biden to not be doing well on that front or not presenting that well, 
um, is concerning for his administration and is something that that definitely needs to be concerning to Democrats. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is presented by our friends over at BetterHelp, a new partnership that we're doing here at the show I had been alluding to this a while ago because I can see it playing out everywhere. It's the end of the year. Uh, events are playing out not only here in the U.S., but internationally. And people are anxious. They're overwhelmed. And we need to talk. I mean, it's the purpose of this show, right? Can we please talk? And we've partnered with our friends over at BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I want you all to give BetterHelp a try because it's online, it's convenient, it's flexible, it's suitable to your schedule. Nick, I know you're excited about this partnership and we've been talking a lot about the mental health space and getting people to talk again, right? Give us a little bit of your thoughts on on this partnership with BetterHelp. You know, back in 2020 during the pandemic, you know, we we saw the benefits of going virtual. And one of the biggest examples of that was the work that the folks at BetterHelp were doing about making mental health available in the virtual space. But oftentimes when we think about BetterHelp, we think about post-pandemic and the reality is that BetterHelp has been around since 2013 to help provide access to healthcare. And they have about 30,000 licensed therapists that they're working with to offer that opportunity. I'm very excited about this partnership. Yeah, that's very well said. So all you gotta do is go to betterhelp.com slash can we please talk. You're gonna get 10% off your first month, you're going to fill out a brief questionnaire while you're there so you can get matched up with a licensed therapist. You can switch therapists as well anytime for no additional charge. You know I want people to start talking again. That's why we've done this partnership with our friends over at BetterHelp. Hit the link in our show notes or go to betterhelp.com slash can we please talk to get started today. Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here. Tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk? You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you could choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cup, what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press, or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. No, that's very well said. And all of this is available at freshroastedcoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with fresh roasted coffee, but you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. Enter in the promo code, can we please get 20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to freshroastedcoffee.com today.
Well, you know, keeping with that, Sabrina, uh, let's talk a little bit about the the GOP field. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do something that we've never done on this show. All right, Sabrina, check this out. I'm going to give you three options. Do you want to talk about the upcoming GOP primary debate that's happening uh, later this week on News Nation? Do you want to talk about the debate nobody asked for in Ron DeSantis and, and Governor Gavin Newsom of California? Or do you want to talk about the man who thinks he can challenge President Biden, but somehow loves President Biden in Dean Phillips? Which one would Sabrina Rodriguez like to tackle first? Let's let's tackle the debate. Let's get through the debate. All right. Let's get through the debate. All right. Thank God. Let's get to Dean Phillips last. All right. So the debate's coming up Thursday, December 6th in Alabama. News Nation's hosting, like I mentioned. So far, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, and, and obviously Ron DeSantis have qualified for the stage. Uh, Chris Christie is right behind but like a tree, if it falls in the woods, does anyone kind of notice that it's there? Eh, who knows? Uh, but he's still working on qualifying. He should be there. The event's going to be moderated by my former colleague and former Fox News and NBC host, Megan Kelly, News Nation anchor Elizabeth Vargas, and then Elena Johnson. She's the editor in chief over at the conservative news website, The Washington Free Beacon. Um, so you were at the third debate. So let's let's go into a little bit more of third debate carrying over into now. I think the high level thing for me and you and I are, are both obviously Cuban and we both have family that are down here. So there are more folks, at least in our orbits, that are kind of paying attention to these. But are these debates, in your opinion right now, it doesn't feel like 2015 it, it, for me going into 2016. I think because there was a lot more people, a lot more known folks, and the consolidation didn't really happen until a little bit later on. There was more people running in the field. What, what's your read on it right now as we head into this fourth debate? Is it just is just this? I mean, the, the linear views have started to go down uh, uh, month over month, and it could be given what networks they've been on. But what do you make of it all now as we head into this fourth one coming up? I mean, look, the number one thing is these debates are the front runner, the Republican front runner, Donald Trump, is not part of these debates. Um, so it so it inherently makes it that this is a debate you know, amongst who's fighting for second place. Um, so that adds a layer to these debates where, you know, if if you told me that it was a stage that that had Donald Trump, then, you know, there is more of a of an appeal of reason to watch it. I think if you're a Republican voter and you're really weighing out like, hmm, I, you know, do I want to vote for Trump again? Or if you were someone that voted for Biden in 2020, but are a Republican or, you know, more moderate conservative, um, okay, like, let me look at my options and you want to see him on that debate stage. So not having him there and having him, you know, winning in polls, not by, you know, it's not by a few points. I mean, he is double digits ahead in the Republican field. Um, that's always, you know, overshadowing the debate. And especially when he hosts, for example, for the third debate that was in Miami, he was, you know, less than 30 minutes away in Hialeah doing a rally. Um, where there was thousands of people that came out um, and, you know, roads had to be shut down and they announced that they were naming a street after him. And there was a lot more theatrics to, you know, a Trump rally than what you see in a formal debate stage. Um, so I think that's really the number one thing that we see time and time again is, you know, now this debate can be more interesting because, you know, we're about a month away from Iowa. Um, we've seen that, you know, DeSantis has fallen further in pollings. And now it really is looking like, you know, Nikki Haley has that momentum to be in second place. But all of that's always in the perspective that Trump is so far ahead in, in polls, you know, and across the board. Yeah. You know, the latest polling over at 538, um, I was checking this earlier today, the Iowa polling, Trump is around 44%. This is in Iowa now. Uh, and DeSantis is around 17 per, uh, percent. Nikki Haley's around 15 percent. Vivek and Christie are bottoming out around four percent. But then when you get into the national average, obviously, that's where Trump is blowing them all out, at least by 49 percentage points to DeSantis, uh, at 51 percentage points to Haley. He's at 60 percent as of November 30th on their projections. But let me ask you, because DeSantis has said this, so we're both Florida folks, and I like that you slid in Hialeah there. As people don't know, Sabrina's from Hialeah. Um, so this, DeSantis has mentioned this a couple of times. Uh, polls don't vote. Voters vote. And then my retort on TV, because I'm on TV now, Sabrina, my retort has been, 
does he know that the people that are voting are the ones voting in those polls? What do you make of the polls? Because I saw an exchange last week between KJP and Peter Ducey, which is my favorite UFC match every day. And the two of them are arguing a little bit about polls. And Peter said something to the effect of, and I'm paraphrasing here, which polls are the ones that matter? Because you're telling us that the polls on the economy you're doing well on, we're, t- we're giving you polls on what voters are saying of your handling of the economy, and you're not doing well on. It's like, what do you make of the polls right now? And as these campaigns are, because again, you technically did some polling as you're at these watch parties. Like, what do you make of it? Should we be paying attention to it? Because it looks like, and we're going to get to Dean Phillips in a second. Well, he, the only reason he's jumping in is because he thinks the polls are so bad for President Biden. What do you make of this polling? And should people, should people be paying such close attention to it? Is it too early? Give us your read. I mean, polls and the top lines from polls get manipulated and talked about however people want to at the time. I mean, that is like an age old tradition in politics. No question. If a candidate, if a number, if numbers in polling are not convenient for a candidate, then they find ways to frame it um, that they're not accurate or they're just a snapshot in time or they, you know, look at the percentages of, you know, the numbers of people they spoke to or look at you know, what were the demographics of the people they spoke to, that's not the electorate, you know, there's many ways to talk about polls to kind of dismiss them. And obviously, there are, you know, more reputable scientific polls. And so there are obviously levels to polling. Um, But if we're talking about trusted polling, and we're talking about consistently poll after poll, you're getting a very similar message from these polls. Um, It is something to be paying attention to. You know, I think that you know, it's fair enough that the Biden administration says, okay, well, this is a snapshot in time right now. This is, we're seeing these polls and people might feel this way today. The election is more than, you know, that or not a more than, we're actually less than a year away now, <laughs> but, you know, it's about a year away from the election. Um, they're saying, you know, there's a long time between now and then, you know, the economy can be in a completely different place from now to November. Um, you know, the messaging, the getting out the vote, the you know, all these things, there's all these factors that come into place. I mean, we have no idea. I like knock on wood, don't want to say, but like in 2019, you know, December of 2019, we had no idea that the world was going to shut down in March and that, you know, that election was going to be, you know, completely, everything was going to be upended because of COVID. Um, So we are a really long way from the election, but I wouldn't take polls for granted. I mean, you have to look at them and say, okay, if we keep seeing this, there's something to it. And, you know, we have not seen Ron DeSantis, you know, as it goes to the GOP primary, we have not seen DeSantis have upward momentum um, in months. And in fact, we've seen the opposite. We've seen Nikki Haley really gaining some type of momentum in these polls. And, and we've seen Trump be dominant for months in these polls. Um, so it's not one poll that has said something. It's consistently getting that same message that that they do need to be paying attention to. Yeah, it's so funny. November of 2022 and the Republican Party seeing DeSantis's margin of victory in Florida and saying we have to be able to take that and translate it nationally and how his star has just sunk a little bit more from a national perception since that date and maybe it's the awkward smiles or maybe it's doing a debate with a governor that nobody asked for what a segue sabrina god i'm so good at these okay um i want to segue to the red blue debate that happened on fox news that uh, you and i barely paid attention to i don't know if you were watching it i i watched a little bit of it 4.75 million people watched sean hannity moderate this mess between these two governors uh and it was billed as this red and blue state they had the red and blue backgrounds Again, as somebody who has worked there, there's a lot that goes into that production value. It was pretty good from a production standpoint. Let's hear what it sounded like. Take a listen. By the way, I didn't say that. Donald Trump laid you out on this. Dead to right. You did that. You followed science. You followed Fauci. He followed science. He followed Fauci. You were promoting. Hold on. You were promoting vaccines. You're trolling folks and trying to find migrants to play political games, to try to get some news and attention so you can out Trump Trump. And by the way, how's that going for you, Ron? You're down 41 points in your own home state. Ron DeSantis signed the most extreme anti-abortion bills in America. He signed a bill banning any exceptions for rape 
and incest. And then he said it didn't go far enough and decided to sign a six-week ban before women even know they're pregnant, Ron. I can tell you this. I would not go to China and grovel in front of Xi uh, like Gavin Newsom did. He says China's a partner uh, on climate change. China's adding two new coal plants every year. China's laughing uh, at us with what they're doing. So, yes, they're the number one threat we face, and we need to take it seriously. And Joe Biden is not doing that. There's a lot of plots on that. You may be asking, what is that plotting? Well, this is an app where they plot the human feces that are found on the streets of San Francisco. And you see how almost the whole thing is covered, because that is what has happened in one of the previous greatest cities this country's ever had. There's no better way to end that than on feces. Um, speaking of feces, uh, the, the Guardian, I didn't mean to call the Guardian a feces uh, publication, but Lloyd Green wrote a, a piece in the in the Guardian and it said his debate with Gavin Newsom, Ron DeSantis, showed that he will never be president of the United States. A fight between red and blue. We just heard a little bit of it there. Sabrina, you and I uh, both live well, you used to uh, now you're in D.C., what do you make of first DeSantis opting into this and doing this just a few days before an actual debate with the other people that he's up against in the race here? Should he have done that? Should he have not done that? What do you make of the pub? Like, what is this going to actually do? Because it's on Fox News. It's not going to bring in any other folks that already don't you know, uh, know about Ron DeSantis. And then what do you make of a little bit of some of the exchanges there as the two of them? There's a bunch of different topics and issues they each talked about in the debate. Sean Hannity was all over the place from a moderation standpoint. Um, but what did you make of it all? I mean, I don't know what there was to gain for Ron DeSantis doing this debate, to be fully honest. I think everyone going into it knew that the stakes were higher for DeSantis than they were for Newsom. Um, you know, DeSantis is trying to present himself as a presidential candidate, as a contender, as someone that could beat Donald Trump in a primary, someone that could go on to beat Joe Biden for the presidency in 2024. And he agreed to do a debate with a California governor who is not running for president, who, you know, people talk about how he has presidential aspirations and very likely in 2028 may run for president. But Newsom has been very clear that he's not running in 2024. Um, He even said it, you know, that was one of like the lines that he, you know, said in, in the debate where he said, you know, neither one of us is going to be president in 2024. Um, so there was a lot to lose for DeSantis. And, you know, the debate was kind of them showcasing their completely different worldviews, this completely different vision, you know, from a left Democratic standpoint and a more farther right Republican standpoint. Um, so, I mean, there weren't surprises in that sense. You know, we know where DeSantis stands on abortion rights. We know where he stands on immigration. Um, and we know where Newsom stands on those issues, too. So there weren't really a lot of surprises. Um, I think it was you know, a fierce battle. I think some people, you know, some Republican commentators were saying that you saw like a more fierce version of DeSantis than what you've necessarily seen on the Republican debate stage. Um, but but ultimately, do I think that it makes a difference in the polls, that it's going to make a difference in DeSantis's standing in the Republican presidential primary? No. You know, I want to stay on that a little bit about DeSantis for a second, because I was just thinking of this and, and you you did this great podcast uh, when you were at another employer about your family dynamics and voting for Trump. You got Abuela, you got mom, uh, you didn't feature cousin Dave, he'll get a kick out of him being mentioned on this show. Um, but you talked a little bit about family dynamics and who they were going to vote for and the Republican Party and do, do people trust Trump and Biden. I don't want to give people away. Uh, all that was in that podcast. But why why isn't DeSantis, I've mentioned this a few times on other outlets, why isn't he translating for other um, Republican primary voters right now? Because it seems like to me, as somebody that lives here, and some of the things that he has done in the state that you would think translate well, budget surplus, right? Uh, teachers pay, increasing teachers pay, making Florida competitive and in the top 10. And some of those things are just kind of either not part of his campaign message or he's just not saying it loudly enough when the cameras are around. What is it about DeSantis, besides the awkward smile that we all make fun of, what is it about DeSantis that's not translating with voters? Or, Mike, you're wrong. When I was at that Republican watch party or when I was in Miami at the third debate, 
some people do want him to pick it up. They just don't know how to fix him. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you could talk to many Republican consultants and strategists and they'll give you like a variety of reasons for why DeSantis has not done as well as, as you know, there was thought that he would a year ago. Um, and some people will say it's his personality and his demeanor, or some people will say it's certain issues he hasn't talked about or, you know, or they don't like him or it's Trump. Or I think there's a variety of, of, of factors here. So we could talk about that for hours. But I think, you know, I did a story out of Florida um, right before the debate where I talked to Republican voters who were very excited about voting for DeSantis in 2022. They voted him for him for reelection. Some of them who had been historically Democrats that flipped to, to vote for him or independents that voted for DeSantis, maybe didn't vote for him in 2018, but were excited to do it in 2022. Um, so those people were really the test subjects I was interested in hearing from because I'm like, you went into this liking him. Um, and for a lot of them, they were like, yeah, no, we'd want him to maybe be a president in the future, but Trump. Uh, but, you know, if Trump wasn't running, then this would be a whole different conversation. But with Trump running, why is he running? He should have waited. Um, and I kept hearing that over and over again from people in Florida that are familiar with both of them. You know, so it's not it's he already, you know, DeSantis had that added barrier that he had to go to Iowa and New Hampshire and these states and make himself known. You know, maybe people have heard about, oh, Florida, how his COVID response was, or they've heard about, you know, different bills that he passed in Florida and, you know, and have some familiarity with him. But that face to face, him going around campaigning, they hadn't experienced that until this year. So I think already hearing from people that knew him, liked him, voted for him and to hear that. I think says a lot. Um, and, and I hate to bring it back. It becomes boring to tie everything to Donald Trump and, oh, it's Trump, it's Trump. But I really think we can't overstate the factor here that, you know, DeSantis occupies a lane that Trump is in. Um, and, and, you know, DeSantis is sort of that protege of Trump and was viewed. I mean, just think of how he ran in 2018 and his ads that were like very MAGA centric, um, so I think, you know, if Trump wasn't in this primary, I think we'd be seeing a very different dynamic than what we have today. When you were talking to those voters, uh, did you ask any of them about the trials upcoming for the president and the perception of potentially a seeing him in court, not for a, a civil trial, like an actual criminal trial where he could potentially do jail time. And then if he's found guilty, we saw recently Home Depot uh, co-founder Bernard Marcus, who unfortunately went to the school over my right shoulder at Rutgers University, where I attended as well. But he recently said, by the way, uh, Bernie, if you're listening to this episode, I'd like you to donate some more to the school. But he said he would still support the former president if he's found guilty of any of these charges. When you were talking to these folks, did that ever come up about, hey, if what if he's found guilty? What if it's now May? And he's found, well, by then, a bunch of the primaries will have already happened. But but what if what if he's found guilty? Does that change anything? Did anybody give you some type of inclination on that? Or it was just, I don't care, it's politically motivated? Among a lot of Republican primary voters, and I say Republican primary voters specifically because, I, you know, it, it did, obviously it's not the same with Democrats and it's not the same with independent voters. But among Republican based primary voters, there is not a difference with with Trump. If anything, I think that, you know, earlier on in the indictments, you know, the first indictment or, you know, when there was the threat of them coming, there was more of a concern of, oh, is this going to take away from his attention Oh, is that how is this going to impact the primary? How is this going to impact his ability to campaign or his ability to govern? Um, and as they've continued to come down, I feel like what I've heard more and more is people doubling down on saying, you know, this is politically motivated. This actually makes me support him more because I don't believe that, like, I believe that they're manufacturing this or they're weaponizing the Justice Department. Um, and, and people kind of standing with him and feeling that like he's being wrongly persecuted. Um, obviously, there is a, a sect of the party that is, you know, concerned about just the the day, the ramifications of it and saying like, OK, well, if he's convicted, how is he going to be able to run? Or if he's in court all the time, how is he going to be able to run for president? Um, and some people have those those real concerns about it. But 
I think the polling also shows us that that a majority of Republican voters are standing by him, regardless of the the legal troubles that he has. Well, let's flip to the other side, because speaking of no polling, uh, if you don't know about Representative Dean Phillips out of Minnesota, who was elected to Congress in 2018, and he beat a six term Republican incumbent and became the first Democrat to represent a staunchly red district out in Minnesota, he recently announced a few weeks ago that he was going to be running uh, for president on the Democratic side. He feels that this is a democratic process. There should be more folks entering in because he doesn't think a Biden-Harris ticket will actually win in 2024, even though he supported the president 100% of the time on all of the bills that have so far been brought into uh, and passed uh, in the House and Senate. And also, he thinks President Biden is doing a good job. Don't take my word for it. I want you to listen to Dean Phillips. He was recently on Pod Save America with John Favreau and John Lovett, the former Obama staff guys. And they were asking him a little bit about policy and what differs him from President Biden. And he shifted it to winning as if he was Charlie Sheen. Take a listen to this. By the way, I think the president has led the country ably. He has not restored the soul of the nation. And I believe that takes a new generation. This is a this is a policy issue. It is a bipartisan cabinet. It is ensuring that every American has their voice represented in their White House. If not, we're going to have worse and worse division. I want to create a youth cabinet. I want to have a common sense czar instead of just black tie affairs that you guys know very well. What, what's the common sense czar do? Common sense czar is going to look at every single government program agency and expenditure <laughs> and make propositions to be more efficient. By the way, if you want to talk about responsibility, When's the last president that we had in the United States that had a balanced budget? We're sending, spending $2 trillion a year more than we're taking in, you guys. We're going to spend $800 billion a year on debt service, all for the past. We have almost no discretionary dollars for the future, and nobody's talking about it. $800 billion a year. But you know how that goes. Crop. Yes, you I know, know how it goes. You know how a budget agreement goes. You're going to have to, we're going to demand raising revenues sure. if we're going to do cuts. Sure. And, and Republicans we have, to... have decided absolutely not on raising revenues. Okay. For 10 years, this, 15 years? I'm gonna keep, you're <laughs> going to keep redirecting this to policy, and I'd love to talk about it. I'm going to keep redirecting it to winning. And, and if we don't win, first of all, I don't think if it's a Biden-Harris ticket right now, they will lose if the election's today. So as you can see there, Dean Phillips, by the way, interest of full disclosure, we've actually invited Dean on the show before I make fun of him a lot further. As we've invited other candidates to be on, we've already had a few on the GOP side. Um, but he's been touting that he's this more moderate legislator. He's part of the Problem Solvers Caucus, as you know, Sabrina, um, and they've solved zero problems. But regardless of that, what do you make of Dean Phillips kind of entering this race? Because the Pot Save America guys and some other folks on the Democratic side have kind of made fun of anybody that's kind of jumped into the race or don't jump in because you're going to just siphon off what little vote margins that we've had across some of these other states, which is why RFK and I, you've seen him go independent. And then Marianne Williamson, who knows if she's going to be around. Cornell West is still out there, but he's doing this. And he mentions it in the interview about it's a democratic process. I want to enter it. And if the polling, which we talked about earlier, if the polling shows that I'm ahead or he's behind or, or if I'm behind, I will happily drop. But what do you make of him entering the race? And then a little bit about him in Congress. I'm sure no one uh, outside of the people of Minnesota in the third district know that much about Dean Phillips. What do you make of him entering the race and a little bit about him? Yeah, I mean, everything we've seen from his announcement um, to in the first weeks of his candidacy has been, you know, a mess of his campaign. Um, I think my colleague Dylan Wells had a great story from his first event in New Hampshire um, and and just kind of the, you know, there was all this production value around it, but many of the people that came out, you know, of the, you know, they were either like friends and family or people from the community that actually came out to hear from him. Several came to ask him like critical questions um, and, and there was a lot of conflict. It, great story. I recommend everyone reads it by Dylan Wells um, and, and really kind of gives an image of the launch of this campaign and kind of the the lack of vision that we're seeing in it. I mean, the number one thing that we hear him talking about is Biden's age and that that being like the number one thing that propelled him um, to run is, is the fact that Biden is old. And yes, we've seen in poll after poll that, you know, yes, Democratic voters have said, you know, they would have wanted a younger candidate. 
Um, and, and we've seen that in the year leading up to Biden fully announcing that he was running for re-election and people have concerns about his age and you don't have to do a poll to do that. I mean, you can just go out and talk to people and you will hear people bringing up that, you know, that and not only Biden, people will bring up that like a lot of politicians in Washington are too old um, and, and Donald Trump is just a few years younger and is also old. Um, so people talk about that a lot and, and specifically toward Biden. That is a number one criticism we often hear. Um but that's not the only thing you can run on, obviously. Um, and, and he kind of keeps trying to lean into that and talk about, oh, no, because we need younger people in politics. And a lot of people agree with that. I mean, that sentiment of needing younger people in politics, sure. But I think a number one issue here is, OK, and then why should it be you? Um, and that's, I think, what we continue to see him not be able to fully articulate or answer. And he just keeps going back to the Biden's old and someone needed to do it. Um, and and we didn't have someone that was more established in the Democratic Party do it. Um, and, and, you know, that's the reality is that we see national Democratic leaders across the country embrace Biden. Um, we even saw there was this great story in my former employer Politico in New Hampshire, um, where, you know, we saw Dean Phillips went to this Democratic dinner, I think it's called the Eleanor Roosevelt dinner. Um, and one of the the congresswoman from New Hampshire, she specifically said, I literally opened it up to be able to say it. She said, I can't imagine that there's anybody here that even cares, she said, when asked about his presence there. Um, and everyone had stickers saying to write in Biden's name in the ballot for the primary in New Hampshire. So I think that's where a lot of people stand at this point. Well, listen, Congressman Dean Phillips, you have a home here, sir, to tell a little bit more of your message. I won't ridicule you as bad as those guys did, but I'm I'm with you because uh, we don't normally tend to see this when there's an incumbent. Um, and also the fact that he's praising Biden every chance he gets. He is literally praising him and he voted with him 100 percent of the time. Yet all he keeps pointing to is these polls that everyone tells you you can spin that narrative wise anyway. We saw Biden's exchange with Peter Ducey one time saying that's because you're only covering two of the polls, but in eight of them, I'm ahead. If you remember that exchange that happened. All right. We leave Dean Phillips there and that uh, campaign will probably be soon uh, out of its tracks by February. We'll see the GOP debate Thursday night, uh, like we mentioned. But first, we have to say, as you hear the music here playing Sabrina, we have to say farewell to something that happened last week that I was going to start with at the beginning of the show because it hasn't happened in like years. The sixth member ever to be expelled by the U.S. House of Representatives, the representative from my state of New York, where I was born and raised, George Santos, was expelled last week in Congress. Take a listen to how it all went down. On this vote, the yeas are 311, the nays are 114, with two recorded as present. Two-thirds voting in the affirmative, the resolution is adopted, and a motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. George Santos has been voted expelled from the House of Representatives by a two-thirds majority of the House. The final tally, 311 fellow House members voting to out him. The threshold was 290. 290 was the threshold, 311. The votes, only five members throughout history, three of them in 1861 for disloyalty to the Union during the Civil War, John B. Clark, John W. Reed, Henry Burnett. And now he's immediately stripped of his position as a member of Congress. I've had a few congressmen on this program and as recently as Seth Moulton telling me a little bit about the antics and theatrics, excuse me, around George Santos, but obviously the damning committee report that came out about, you know, some of his campaign finance violations. And then there's some members of Congress he even duped and has taken some of their money. Would you make of the George Santos, as we sign off here, Sabrina, would you make of this George Santos thing and, the, and how unprecedented it is as somebody who has wandered the halls of Congress before interviewing Congress folks? I mean, I will say one of the things that, that first came to mind with you saying the actual vote count is the fact that this is one of the few bipartisan, you know, things that that yeah. you know congress has accomplished recently um to see that many people band together um to expel him from uh the house says a lot about how damning the 
report was uh, for them to to band together to do this. So I think, you know, that can't be understated. Um, and on a lighter note, I saw on Twitter that he has agreed he wants to do an interview with the comedian Z-Way. I love her. Um, Me too. So I am very excited to see what that um, what that will look like and and what the next chapter. I don't want to make too much light of it. Obviously, you know, like there is standards that members of Congress should uphold. Um, and and that is, you know, a reality that I feel like some of where we're at in politics, we kind of laugh about it because if you don't laugh about it, you'd cry about it. But um, I do think, you know, yeah, what happens for for New York, for his district um, going forward will be interesting as well. And just to see what that election shapes up to be like. I do love Z-Way. And, you know, now I'm more interested as well because he has mentioned a couple other folks that he feels should be expelled the precedent that this sets. And then also in the Senate, and we've seen John Fetterman already say this, the Democrat Senator out of Pennsylvania, that he thinks Bob Menendez should not be in office and should be expelled because he's facing indictment charges from the Department of Justice recently. So we leave it all there. My thank you so much to Washington Post national politics reporter, Sabrina Rodriguez. Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us, Sabrina. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for the next time already. Of course, of course. We always welcome you back. And if you want to catch all the video portions or of our interviews and see Sabrina's beautiful face, you can go over to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. We should pop right up. Audio podcast platforms you know by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to everybody that listens to us on Good Pods. You can listen to our show on YouTube Music. Download the YouTube Music app. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. And we can't do it without each and every one of you that listens into this program. As always, I'm Mike Leon, Nick Savarius in Punta Cana. We'll see him in a few weeks. Take care, everybody. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.